Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Padraplegics podcast. This is a very special episode for me. We have a very special guest. But before I get to introducing him, you know I always got to go through these housekeeping items. So let's kick them off. We are sponsored by the Arizona Spinal Cord Injury Association. That is azspinal.org. You can reach them at 602-507-4209 with any questions at any time. Eric will always answer the phone. Call him at 4 in the morning, please. Um, This podcast can be found on YouTube. It can be found on azspinal.org forward slash podcast. You can always find us on Facebook and also in the groups of Arizona Spinal Cord Injury Friends. You can also find us audio on Spotify and iTunes. Click subscribe. It helps us. That, in turn, will help you. Everybody wins. Um, Don, Eric, and myself have 100-plus years combined of living with a disability. We are not medical professionals. I repeat, we are not medical professionals. If you are having medical issues, please contact your doctor or call 911. Uh, Explicit warning for mature language and content, mostly by Eric and Don. (laughs) Don's got a foul mouth. Oh, yeah. So don't sue us. If we are incorrect with what we are saying, We we are here to just speak our truths, talk our, tell our stories and our experiences. Um, if they're not the same as yours and or incorrect, don't sue us. If you're going to sue anybody, direct that right towards Eric. Um, Eric has all the monies and money. Wait, whoa. Okay. He loves to be sued. That's his favorite thing to do is be sued. So um, not really sue Eric. Um, just a little add-on, um, you know, we may not be professionals. However, I have access to a vast amount of resources so that I can always direct you. So if you do decide to give me a call, give me a shout-out, I may be able to help get you to where you need to go or give you some additional ideas. So Between Eric and Don, they have yep. a, a, ton of, a ton of resources um, to help you with, with transitioning or into being disabled or with – any, I mean, almost anything you can think of, uh, they, they probably have resources for it. So feel free to reach out, contact us, leave comments, messages, however you want to do it. We check them all. We'll look at them. We'll try to get to you and help you out. That's what we're here for. Yep. Anyways, all right, on to the show. Um, today, we have a very special guest, uh, Mr. Tyler Ray Helms. Uh, he, is my, he is my brother. He, he's, he's a, a recent law school grad from Stanford University. He went wow. from Arizona awesome. State. Congratulations. That's a, yeah. that's a pretty Way big deal, actually. Yeah. He, um, he, he, he studied some disability law. Um, uh, he, he's on here to kind of talk to us about or talk to everybody about what it's like to be an advocate, what it's like to be – a brother, what it's like to be uh, somebody who's cared for, uh, somebody, an, an individual with a disability. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we're going to try to talk to him about um, in the short amount of time that we have. So 
let's just get it started. Uh, Tyler, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for having me, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, Tyler was a very very young young kid when, when I got in my auto accident, so I'm not sure how much he remembers from before or, or, or you know, now after. But um, I mean, maybe, Tyler, you can start off by telling us a, a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, I mean, I know I kind of introduced you a little bit, but uh, you can tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what, you know, what you think uh, you, you can bring to bring to the conversation or, or what, or maybe even what, what disabilities have, how they've shaped your mindset. Sure. So, uh, like you said, I just graduated from Stanford law school, uh, about two weeks ago. Um, so still adjusting to all that. I've never not been a student, so, um, kind of scared for what comes next, but, uh, Oh, it only gets worse. <laughs> so I've heard, um, uh, so at Stanford, I studied, uh, like you said, I took, a, I took a class in disability law, did a pretty good amount of research into disability law, um, specifically into um, some environmental justice and disability law intersectionality between um, uh, folks in Flint uh, as really arising out of the Flint water crisis um, and sort of the disability-related consequences of that and sort of the costs that it could impose on the city in the future and uh, the, the benefits uh, to the affected kids of uh, adequate response, basically. Um, so I did a lot of research on that. I've done a decent amount of research into uh, history of uh, institutions that serve people with disabilities, um, specifically uh, their sort of path to voting um, and sort of economics of those institutions in the pre-New Deal new deal era so like before 1920 um i don't know that the history is going to be particularly applicable here but um perhaps most applicable i worked in the stanford youth and education law project uh for a quarter um that was like sort of my clinical experience and the youth and education law project represents uh kids with disabilities primarily um it's a it's an educational uh, advocacy clinic but um all of my clients were uh younger students, middle school, elementary school uh, with disabilities. And we sort of advocated to get them accommodations or you know, the equal treatment they are entitled under the IDEA. Um, and we also worked on some bigger picture uh, impact litigation cases where uh, in one of the cases was there is a tribe in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, the Havasupai tribe. And they uh, have sort of been struggling with uh, being able to provide education uh, to their uh, students because you can't it's it's really remote it's it's hardly accessible you have to it's a really long hike or uh, you have to get there by a helicopter there's no roads there and so as you can understand like there's a lot of challenges that come with uh, adequately educating the youth of that uh, community so those are just some of the things I've worked on in law school um, but perhaps more importantly than all of that for this podcast I have lived for uh, probably 19, almost 20 years, um, as a brother of, uh, Sean, uh, who is, uh, quadriplegic, right? So it's been most of my life. I believe I was five or six when, uh, he got in his accident. And ever since then, um, it's been a huge part of my life, uh, 
you know, just even with him and helping, uh, helping him out with the things that he needs and sort of being involved in the disability community uh, more broadly, um, I have a little bit of experience in that. Absolutely. You know, it, I don't, you guys go ahead if you, if you have something. Well, I just have an important question. Did he ever try to run you over with his chair? That's really what I want to know. <laughs> Not only has he tried, he's succeeded several times. Um, thankfully, nothing more than a, a, a toe or a foot here or there. Uh, you is know, that no what motivated you? Is that what motivated <laughs> you to go into law right there? Because like, because <laughs> he wanted to sue me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tyler was, uh, was, was one, of the only, one of the only people that I know that learned how to be able to stand on the back of my chair. So when we're in airports and public places and all these things, he would stand on the back caster wheels and I'd just turn this baby up as fast as it goes. And we'd just be flying through places and he's standing up and standing on it. Yeah. He was, he was good at it. Most other people fall off as soon as you, as soon as you go, but he, he was, he was fantastic at it. Sounds like you're a thrill about, junkie. Uh, yeah. It, well, it's, it's, it is pretty nice, especially in the airport because everybody gets out of the way, obviously. Oh, and I used to have to carry the bags. And so, I'd be standing on his wheelchair, you know, with a bag in each hand behind me. Uh, it was it was quite the scene, but <laughs> certainly better than me running and, and certainly faster. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, because his chair is fast. He's got he's got yeah. some, uh, he's got some speed going on in that thing. I hit seven point six miles an hour the other day. You know, I just have this image of like this track. And like tears coming out of your eyes, and like <laughs> the winds blowing, and you're just like. <sighs> it's not all that uh, different from some things that have happened. We've definitely taken it down some hills, and uh, especially in the cold, you might start to tear up. Maybe not because of necessarily the speed, but um, in seven point six miles an hour may not sound very fast uh, to those of you who have not been in a in a wheelchair going seven point six miles an hour. But it is uh, quite the thrill. Yeah. faster than you would expect yeah. it gets real squirrely real squirrely real fast do you start to get the little wobble like like when you're, when you're skateboarding you get the little wobbles going down a hill and that's usually a bad sign and sometimes you see one of the back wheels start to jitter like that and uh you just hold on and pray so has he ever taken like a left turn real quick while you're on the back and you just kind of go the other way I don't remember falling off at any point, at least not because of a turn like that. I may have fallen other times, but nothing really sticks out. Um, I've definitely seen him take some spills. Uh, and Really? Uh, glad I wasn't necessarily on the back for those. So maybe it would have been stability. Uh, we've, heard this, we've heard some of the stories, and they were hilarious. The dance floor and then some other stories. Uh, yeah. Tyler is a brother of uh, – uh, quadriplegic i mean did you see him any differently growing up or did you just see him as your bro or i mean how did other kids uh see him and, and that sort of thing i'm just curious first and foremost he was always my brother he, he was always the same person um and like we said i was pretty young five or six i think when um he got in his accident so i definitely remember him uh a little bit before he was in the accident um but one thing to think about is, is I was really young when he was still in high school and when he was off at college, um, 
I didn't really see him all that often. So I was always excited to see him and we'd play video games and all that. And um, I guess one of the silver linings, uh, at least for me of all this, was that it brought him, uh, it made him a bigger part of my life. Um, you know, he was off at college and would have went off and gotten a job and all that. And he, you know, I have another older brother and I, I rarely see him like once a year, maybe twice a year. So I couldn't imagine it being like that with Sean. Um, so I guess that was uh, something that, like I said, it was a silver lining. Obviously I wish it never had happened, but since it did, it's a look at the positives and that we have a much closer relationship than I think we ever would have had otherwise. Yeah. And you know, one of the things too is, you know, we had, we have such a, a a close dynamic and, and the fact that, you know, like he even, we lived together um, outside of, of, of the home. Right. So we had an apartment together for a couple of years of a three years. I think we had an apartment house and then an apartment. We lived together. Uh, He helped me with a lot of, you know, care stuff. And he helped me through times in which people maybe didn't show up or the other things of those sorts in which he was there to be able to uh, be a, a, a very big rock for me, you know, and he's always been that for me, you know? And so it's a, it, it is, it's a blessing, you know, it, it, for me, it's always been a blessing. You know I mean? The fact that he took it the way he did um, and, and he really took to it. And it's, it's something that not everybody does, you know, and not everybody can see it that way. And, and he really, he really took to it and, and he, and he never once ever made me feel like I was less of a person, um, you know, which is, I mean, unbelievable, you know, I mean, I think that that has really shown in his personality as he's grown up too, you know I mean? And, and you can even see with the things that he does, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, with the, with the law stuff that he's doing and then studies and stuff that he's done, you know, and the people that he's worked for, I mean, he, he's, he's definitely um, taken to the life of individuals with disabilities and, and, and looked towards how he can advocate and help. And, and, you know, that's, that's awesome. It's fantastic. So Tyler, what's next for you? Do you have anything lined up? In the- well, uh, next up is taking the bar exam. Um, I'm going to be working in California, so I'm taking the California bar. Uh, because of all the uncertainties of COVID, it's been delayed. It might get delayed further. It might get put online. It might get canceled altogether. I doubt that'll happen, though I certainly hope it will. Um, it's They're advocating for something called the Paloma Privilege, basically like in this public health emergency uh lawyers are in high demand right like there's a lot of things lawyers could be doing right now to help communities in need it and beyond covid like also with the uh like the black lives matter movement and all of that there's a lot of more awareness of sort of communities in need uh, more broadly which which includes uh people with disabilities and we can talk about that later but um they are advocating for the bar to not be a requirement for for newly graduated law students and to just basically allow us to practice under the supervision of a, 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 a attorney um again i'm i don't i'm not hopeful that that i'm hopeful that'll happen i don't think it will so my next thing is taking the bar um after that i i do have a job lined up um at a at a firm in los angeles 
I'll be doing mostly uh, antitrust, which is like competition between businesses and in white collar crime work. Um, but cool. there's a they're open to pro bono, and they've said that you can kind of do whatever you want. So I definitely plan to uh, stay involved in the like disability community um, and disability advocacy, um, probably at the youth and education level. But we'll see um, what opportunities I can uh, find for that. Cool. So we can call you whenever we need help. Is that what we're hearing? Uh, once I pass the bar and actually am a lawyer, I it'll probably be like uh, like you were saying earlier about not being a medical professional, but having access to a lot of resources. So that's the thing is like my friends always say that, and I'm like I certainly won't be qualified to represent you in a in a DUI or something like that case, but I probably know somebody who can or would, you know, be able to help you find somebody who could. Um, but yeah. I didn't know about his DUIs. <laughs> Just saying, that's, that's what all my friends are like. So if I ever get pulled over, you know, you're my call from jail. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know if that's the smartest call, <laughs> but, but I'll do my best. Now, um, I know a lot of people who become lawyers also – have the opportunity to take a political venue such as congressmen's presidents stuff like that are you are you shooting towards that path or i mean should we start calling you mr president certainly not um i used to be pretty interested in all that uh but even just seeing how politics operate at like the school level so like when i was in undergrad one of my friends uh ran for like the undergraduate student body he wasn't even like president he, he was running for like treasurer he was on the ticket basically um and there were like all these attack ads and right. all these things it was just so nasty and I, I was immediately turned off to all of it and you like see since then so i i graduated in 2017 but like around that time things started kind of going south in terms of like the integrity of politics in my opinion but anyways that that's a whole nother case I Ooh, not that kind of in... that kind of leads that's kind of leading a little bit <laughs> i'm not so interested in politics <laughs> uh, i don't blame you but, but yeah. i know i know a lot of people who are and I, I mean maybe in the future but at this time certainly not at all how was your uh, how was your experience at stanford did you like it there Oh, it was fantastic. Um, I could not have asked for a better situation. I, it was, when I was in high school, like I always thought Stanford was cool, right? Cause it's one of these elite schools, but it's not some stuffy Ivy League, uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I was always interested in it. I certainly was nowhere close to getting there um, to, to go to college after high school. Um, I believe I, I got a rejection letter basically immediately after applying uh, so so it was definitely a dream to uh and, and i didn't even think i could get in there for law school and i still probably think that i shouldn't have but um you know it was fantastic i i jumped at the opportunity like i was trying to tell the dean when she called me to tell me that i got in like like where do i sign who do i pay my deposit to like i'm ready to send this right now um but I, it was everything I hoped it could be and more. Um, such a fantastic place. The campus is beautiful. And, and more than anything, uh, the, the student body there was really just astounding. There's 
it's it's a fairly small class so each like class of law school has about 180 kids so like 179 other kids graduated with me give or take um and i have never met a more like intelligent passionate interesting fun any like positive thing you can think of I cannot say enough positive uh, things about my classmates. And I think that was probably the biggest part of what made law school such a great experience for me. Nice. So you guys are going to change the world. Say that again. So you guys are going to change the world is what I'm hearing. Uh, so I actually visited a class at, at Arizona state law school. Um, and just <laughs> before the class, the professor was like making fun of Stanford students. Um, and didn't know that I was there. And so I it, it introduced myself and I was like, oh, well, I'm from Stanford. And he's like, oh, so you're here to change the world. So funny you say that. Um, that's definitely the impression. And, and like, I, I have no doubt that so many people from my graduating class will have huge impacts on the world. Like, I'm sure that you will hear about many of them. Um, if not in, in the next few years, uh, certainly down the line. They're, like I said, they are some of the brightest people I've ever met and, and motivated people. And so uh, they certainly will make their mark. Well, including you, Tyler. Yeah. So you're going to make their mark as well, yes. I'm going to put you in my speed dial right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that you touched on earlier um, was – the educational aspect of individuals with disabilities. Um, in your experience, do you feel like individuals with disabilities at the level of, so you said middle schools, right? Do you feel like they get the same level of education as somebody without a disability? I really think it depends uh, a lot on circumstances, right? So, and, and disability type, right? So if, if Sean, if this would have, if your accident would have happened when you were in high school, it would have been a struggle, but I think that you would have been able to access the curriculum in a way that, you know, was adequate under the law, like, right, you would, it would be like some accommodations need to be made here and there, like physical accommodations, stuff like that, maybe some testing accommodations, that type of stuff. But, you know, you had a solid family support. Um, we're not at a particularly underfunded school district and it, it probably would have worked for you. I, I can't say for sure, but you know, that's not the case for everybody. Right. Especially folks with, uh, or kids with, learning disabilities and, and autism spectrum disorder and behavioral disabilities or disabilities that manifest themselves um, uh, behaviorally, it becomes a lot more difficult to sort of handle and provide those kids uh, with an adequate education, especially as is the case in a lot of school districts, if the school is underfunded, right? So you bring I know Eric, you mentioned... Oh, go ahead. Uh, you bring up an aspect that, that I can really relate with too. You know, adequate support from family is so key in, in uh, getting, getting ahead or getting to where you need to go. 
And I find uh, my wife is a special, a special ed teacher. And one of the big things that she finds is when there is a lack of support from the family, that child has a harder time learning. You know, it's just because the support isn't there. So, so yeah. Anyways, uh, please continue. I, I, I just wanted to throw that in. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, it, it is such a big difference. And even in the like students that I've represented, that is honestly one of the, the biggest predictors of, uh, you know, how easy our job is as it was representing them. So just for example, like I've represented somebody who had Down syndrome uh, and it just had a, a single mother who, you know, worked several jobs and didn't have a lot of time to go to the school and advocate or volunteer in the classroom or, yeah. you know, even necessarily work on the schoolwork with her. Right. And it was a struggle because in that case, we found that in like meetings with the school district uh, asking for accommodations or, you know, more increased support, they would often sort of blame it on the parent um, saying, well, you know, more work could be done at home and we're sitting there like, it's kind of your guys' job to educate her. And like, it's, you know what I mean? You can't make this perfect family life for her. She's kind of stuck with the circumstances that she has and, and we need more support on your guys' end to help with that. On the other hand, I've represented uh, people or, or students that had families that were really, really supportive. Um, and, you know, they certainly weren't, rich or anything and they really weren't right but they had a circumstance that you know it was a two-parent household and they had a little bit more flexibility uh in helping him sort of work with his school uh work and do behavioral supports that are like extracurricular and in that case they could never the school could never say the you know more could be be done more could be being done at home and why aren't you guys you know this this slack could be picked up at home because everybody knew that they were doing everything that you could ask for and more like each of them worked and and i think his dad worked two jobs right and it's they still found the time to do that and and that's just a testament to them and, and their willingness to do that but again not everybody can do that right not not every student is blessed with parents who are, are financially able to do that or not necessarily financially but it's not everybody who can work two jobs and you know provide all this education and behavioral support to a, a student with uh fairly severe needs yeah they um, need, so they'll need injections yeah. of coffee and nicotine and you know to I, to help them stay awake as they're teaching their kid after they've worked a double shift yeah definitely and, and the the parents who can do that are, are saints and miracles as far as I'm concerned. Um, but you can't necessarily hold it against parents who can't, right? Because everybody's circumstances are different. But I'm glad you mentioned that because family is such a huge part of that. And, and not everybody has like family support. And it's sort of how can we set up the system and, and get them the accommodations they need to guarantee them that equal opportunity at education. Yeah, and, and I mean, I can even speak from experience of, you know, when I got my accident, I was, uh, I had just finished my freshman year of college, um, you know, and the transition from 
going from that to being disabled to back into an educational you know an educational realm or going back to college i don't know i don't think personally i would have been able to do that without the support of my family you know like i mean they were the ones who were taking me to school right like driving me they were the ones who were there to help me and write my you know write my papers or help me with all the things that i needed to do and also to give me the motivation to better myself you know and i think that it it is i mean it's a major a major key in your quality of life it's a major key in your your access to all these different educational tools and all these different things like it, to better your life family your family structure plays a huge part in that i absolutely agree <laughs> well i mean i i had you know my family um even my my mother and father were separated however they came from large families so grandma and grandpa were involved uncles and aunts were involved you know to help me when i when i needed it and so i i had a very strong family support as well john what about you well yeah i uh i had great family support as well, and I could have made it without them. But um, one of my thoughts was, uh, and Tyler, maybe you were too young to remember this, but um, I think for people with disabilities, uh, there's so many roadblocks that are in a way to get the supports that we need. And I'm just curious if you remember seeing Sean have to jump through all those hoops and struggle to get uh, accommodations he needed or get whatever programs he needed, and if that, um, left a mark with you. I, I think I was a little young and um, sort of when when he was going back to college uh, that was fairly removed from sort of my involvement in his life in terms of uh, the administrative side of things like that. Um, I think it would have been probably a little closer to home had he gotten his accident during high school um, you know because he would have been coming home every day and all of that but for me, it was basically like when he went out to college, I would talk to him on the phone every once in a while. We'd see him maybe once a week. Um, but I, I was never really involved in any of that. Okay. Uh, the reason so that's I, why – oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no. Um, well, the reason I said that, like, um, like I got injured right before college. And uh, so I had to learn kind of how to live with a disability my freshman and sophomore years of college. And so um, for me, I just remember – while my friends and uh, colleagues were studying or, or out socializing or whatever, I was trying to figure out who was gonna get me up in the morning or who was gonna help me with my ball program or how I was gonna get my wheelchair repaired. And it have really affected my ability to, to be a student the first, at least for a couple of years, and then just jumping through the, uh, the hoops of getting you know, the caregiving paid for all you know social security and all those things and uh, it just seems to me i'm just curious if you remember that with sean i'm sure sean had to go through similar things he's nodding his head and uh you know it just it seems like the supports are still uh hard to get and uh, i think it's still there's a lot of work that still needs to be done even though we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of the ada this month 
and I think there's still a lot of work to be done. So I'm glad you uh, have an interest, at least, in some disability law. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, it's, no, go ahead. You go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm just going to say, yeah, it was like a big part of sort of uh, why I consider going to law school in the first place. Um, it's like what I wrote my application essay about. And it's immediately, I was talking to the, once I got in, I was talking to the disability law professor who's been a great mentor to me. Uh, you know, not two weeks goes by where I'm not in her office or, or talking to her. And so it's, it's definitely been a, a big constant in my law school experience. Um, and it's been great. And it, it's really introduced me to so many things that I didn't know anything about, right? As Sean's brother, he's physically disabled. Um, and I never had to deal with sort of him trying to get accommodations in high school and all that stuff. And, and taking disability law and getting involved in youth advocacy sort of showed me uh, the whole other side of disability, which is, you know, mental, developmental, behavioral disabilities, um, and sort of how uh, kids in school have to handle those and, and the uh, importance of education for those students because it's it really can change uh, their lives. And, and you can see even like when the youth and education law clinic that I work for gets involved in cases, like there's times where students are not expected are, are you know basically written off as you know always going to be dependent and will basically be conserved and all of that and it's sometimes when we get involved we can say they're just actually you guys aren't even doing this looking at this right at all um like they have this like you guys have been trying to teach him english sign language and he's actually proficient in arabic sign language and so like yeah, he doesn't know what you're talking about because you're speaking a different language, right? And then we can help get those kids into college placements and all of that. And and it's it's been really uh, fulfilling or inspiring to see all of that, honestly, and just to see how the basically see the breadth of disability law and how big of an impact it can have on uh, people's lives. And, and I've really only worked in in education advocacy, right? Like there's so many other fields that also have just as consequential outcomes for, for the people involved. And that's one thing that going to law school, even after having been uh, involved in the disability community, like I said, for, for 20, 15, 20 years, you just, it's hard to ever fully grasp how much is out there. It sounds like you have a, uh... You know, growing up and seeing diversity as you have with 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 Sean, who's actually quite different than you, it seems. <laughs> In a couple of ways. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Eric? I don't, uh, I'm just saying that. I'm just saying. I'm just. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying that. Say. What do you mean? You know, speak freely, Eric. Come on. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, you know. Um, you know, I grew up with my brother as well, and uh, we were only 11 months apart. And one of the things my, uh, that I've noticed about my brother as well that I'm, I'm seeing with you is that the glasses of seeing people differently is kind of not there as much. You know what I mean? It's like, 
you know, yeah, someone has a disability, but what, what do they have? It's not just a, oh, I'm scared. I've never encountered this before. And that's, I've run in a lot of people like that, you know, they, oh, I've never been around someone who has a disability or, oh, I've never been around someone who has a this or a that, you know? And it seems like, you know, you just grew up with it. So now you're just like, oh, well, this is just what it is. And you're able to see the differences, at, but it, it's more encompassing. You're able to um, integrate all that into your, your worldview, it seems. Which is cool, which is very cool because right there, it gives you a leg up because you're able to see a broader scope of humanity. Not that I'm trying to get preachy or anything. No, so, I think I think you're I think you're dead on with that, Eric. I mean, I think that's something too, like that uh, that I've noticed so much about him, uh, especially is that he is so open to everyone, what no matter what the difference that 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 human being has, right? I mean, like he advocates for everyone, whether you know, black, brown, disabled anything right i mean it, it he advocates for all of it and and that's something that i i definitely look up to i mean i know that's something that even you know from i wasn't around a lot of that stuff when i was younger so i didn't know like i didn't grow up that way right you know so like he did and you can see it in the way that he he acts the way that he cares for people the way you know like all that all that stuff is, it, it encompasses in the fact that I think that he, you know, he was, he was put into that situation and, and he sees it and he understands it and he, and he fully is aware of it and, and, and takes it in and, and it has made it part of his life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to you. <laughs> seriously, seriously. It's, it's seriously a leg up in this world that's gone chaotic and kitty wampus all over the place. I mean, you know, you'll be the voice of, you have the potential to be the voice of reason in a chaotic world. So, you know, that no pressure. <laughs> I feel a lot of pressure, but um, I think that's a good thing. Keeps you, well, you know what, pressure it, from all sides keeps you straight on the, on the path. See, and this is where you call me because I deal, I deal with pressure. So I'm, I'm a social worker. And, and I deal with mindfulness. So you call me when you get stressed out and I'll help you. I'll help talk you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we got to, we got to appreciate each that. other here. That way, when I have to give you a call someday, you'll say, you'll say <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're just, we're just, I do owe you one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. We got to, we just got to, we got to figure that out. <laughs> so Tyler, no plans to come back to Arizona or go to Michigan. You're going to stay in California. Uh, I'm only thinking a couple years at a time. Um, I'm going to be in California for at least a little while. Um, I, I could definitely see coming back to Michigan or Arizona at some point. Um, I just I just got back to Michigan today, and I you know forgot how much I love it here, at least in the summer. Um, <laughs> but I, there's uh, you know you don't like the winters. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> After you know going to school in Arizona for so long and and living in California for three years, um, snow is kind of foreign to me these days, and I'm not super upset about it. And and I, I could definitely keep it that way, and and be perfectly happy. I can take a little trip somewhere if I need to see some, but right. it's not 
not something I feel like I need right now. Well, you know, I, I kind of want to get into a topic with you. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have siblings and or loved ones that are disabled or, and they sometimes feel lost, right? They sometimes feel overwhelmed. They sometimes feel like they don't know what to do or how to help, right? Um, is there anything from your experiences that you could say or even just give some type of advice or even just maybe even talk about how maybe you've dealt with that these situations that, that maybe somebody could take and, and, and use? I guess my first piece of advice is to sort of listen to the person you're trying to care for and help out um, and figure out what they actually need, right? It's a lot of times people will be asking for something small, but it will sort of be a result of a bigger thing. And even if they can't articulate that or they don't know it themselves, they haven't realized that. I would say that's the biggest thing because as you all know, disability is a highly individualized um thing right like no two disabilities are the same even two c4 quadriplegics have can have wildly different um needs and abilities right um so i think the first place you should look is is with the person um that you're trying to help uh second is i guess don't necessarily expect them to have all the answers right especially if it's like a, a child like you like your child or a, a family member they don't know anything more about the community than you do if like it, it's something that happened um uh, to everybody sorry so when you hit in an accident it happens to everybody at once right just because sean like you were you found yourself in a wheelchair doesn't mean you know everything about um being in a wheelchair uh and and i couldn't expect you to tell me all those things there's certain things that you could obviously tell me but there's a lot of things that you know I couldn't expect you to do for me there's a lot of work that could be done that wasn't on you to teach me um and so I guess this the second thing is after you sort of talk to the person you're trying to help with and understand them uh more deeply is learn more right there's a lot of resources online. Um, Eric, like you've been talking about all the resources that you have. So reach out to those organizations that help uh, folks with disabilities broadly or the particular disability um, that the person you're trying to help has and sort of learn more. And and maybe you can do that work of learning uh, and pass that on to the person you're trying to help, right? Like, I've often tried to learn stuff about spinal cord injuries and, you know, disability in general that like I've tried to share with Sean um, because it shouldn't all be on him to sort of go collect all that information, figure it out, how to teach me about it and then put in the work of actually teaching me about it. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good answer. Man. I, I, I think too, um, you know, as far as, you know, relationship stuff goes too, I mean, um, you know, when you're, when you're talking about when you're in a position where you have to provide 
care for a person too, right? I mean, that can alter the relationship between the humans that you necessarily, you know, that stressor wouldn't necessarily be there if you didn't have to rely on them, you know? And I know that there has been times in our relationship, you know, especially when we lived together in, in Tempe for those, those years in which, you know, my disability was a major stressor upon you because you felt as if you were required to help me because you're my family member and you're my brother and you love me. Right. Um, how did you kind of get through some of that um, without cussing me out and getting angry because you, you really have never done that. You know, you've never, been that kind of person and you've always taken it so well i mean i guess i'm asking you know i'm asking how how you kind of internally dealt with that sure um so i can give a little background on what he's talking about so like he mentioned earlier we lived together um in my what would have been my junior and senior year of college um it was so i went to school uh, at asu in phoenix um and Sean had previously lived in Tucson. Um, and there were a lot of reasons why Sean wanted to be in Phoenix. Um, so like going up there was beneficial for him, but you know, my family wasn't in a position to move up there, uh, for that. And I was already up there. I had benefits of him coming up there. Like I could, you know, it would help with rent, obviously, like we could get a place and, it would be a little easier than trying to find other roommates, stuff like that. Like it was a mutually beneficial thing in theory. Right. So once he got up there, like he had some nurses. So the deal was basically like I would put him in bed, uh, what Sunday through Thursday night, I think it was four nights a week, you know, during the week when I was at home, you know, doing schoolwork type of stuff. And then he would have people work on the weekends and, uh, during the mornings, I, I never really had to do the, the, the morning work. Um, so, it it went well, but, you know, at some point it was, it, it started feeling like I was sort of tied down um, in a way, right? Uh, at least that's what it felt like because other people had jobs, sure. Um, but, you know, they could ask for time off. They could, you know, call out sick and it wouldn't be a big deal, right? Like if you work at a shoe store, they're going to be just fine if you don't show up because they have a bunch of other people who could do it. And like, if they have one less person, it's fine. Not a big deal. Um, but if I wanted to not show up to work, it means Sean couldn't go to bed, right? He's got to sleep in his chair and that's obviously not okay. And, and like other stuff too, like it's, it would not be good. I couldn't just call in. I had to be there. And so there were a lot of times on weeknights where I wanted to go do stuff, but I, and it's not even that I couldn't do it. I just had to like take the time to help him. And I was always sort of required to do that, which is fine. Um, but after a while, he sort of didn't have anybody else to work those weekend nights. And, and there was a stretch of period, a stretch of time where I was working every single night. Um, and that was a lot for me, right? Like I'm a junior in college trying to have a social life, but I am required to be at home. And, and at that time we lived uh, like 30, 40 minutes away from campus. Um, so I, I was required to say that again. 
that's the hub of college life too. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I would, you know, come home from school, come home from class, but like my friends would be hanging out and it's like, well, I have to go home, you know, I have to help Sean get dinner and, and then I have to help him get in bed. And that's a large portion of the day. And it's sort of doing that seven days a week really cut down on what I was able to do socially. And that was a struggle for me. Um, eventually, you know, we found some more stable people and, and it, you know, uh, eased a little bit, but there was a while where it was, uh, it's, you know, it felt like a, a ball and chain in a, in a way. Sure. Um, it's not necessarily right. I'm not proud that I thought that. Um, but that's how I felt in the moment. Natural, um, that's you a know, natural feeling. Yeah, that that is a natural feeling. Um, I'm, you know, when you have family members. Well, are, and I'm guessing conversely, Sean, sometimes you felt like a, a ball and chain to Tyler. You know, you felt like yeah. you're holding down as well. I mean, I I I felt uh, I, yeah, I felt the same way. I felt I felt awful about him not being able to experience some of the things that maybe he should have or could have. And because, because of me, you know, it's, and it's the same thing. It's the same, same thing for many, many people in this, in this world, you know, in this, in this, in this world of people with disabilities or individuals with disabilities, so many people feel that same way, you know, so the, you know, you shouldn't feel bad. You shouldn't have negative thought and negative feelings about having that go through you because that is the process, part of the process, you know, like I think everybody has that that you're able to speak to that too shows a real integrity because some people don't even know how to aren't don't even feel comfortable to speak about this you know because you know when you have a disability the last thing you want to do is be a burden on someone that's that's something we all reckon anyone who has a disability recognizes that right away you know they're like oh my god i i have to have this person i have to have someone in my life and i can tell you it's not a comfortable feeling however that you're able to speak to it means that you are able to have a dialogue with that. And that sometimes really can change the dynamics, you know, for example, when you guys found that other person that when you worked with your schedule to relieve your schedule a little more, to be able to do more of what you wanted to do, how did that come about? Did you guys have a conversation? What did you guys do? I, I mean, I think eventually it was, I'm not going to say it got to a boiling point because there was never any like one point about that, but it was sort of, I tried to make clear that this wasn't really the arrangement that, you know, I was 20 years old or 21 years old trying to have a normal college life. Um, and like, because I was benefited, right? Like I didn't have to pay rent. I, I guess I like paid my rent through working uh and, and helping him right but like i said it just wasn't really what i had signed up for and like what we had agreed to and so i think it was sort of like a, a series of like microaggressions back and forth um because we hadn't really had that discussion fully it was like i would mention something about that and it would be like well you don't have to pay rent and it's like well this is you know what i mean back and forth stuff like that um eventually it you know, we were able to sort of come to that understanding of like, this is not like something needs to change, right? Like, or we're going to end up hating each other. Um, because you're going to like, 
like Sean would think that I am uh, like not grateful for what he's doing for me. And I would, you know, like we talked about, view him as preventing me from having uh, as normal an experience as I could. Um, And eventually I think we were able to sort of uh, have a meeting of the minds and like understand each other on that point. And, And it's not even necessarily that that was like, he decided for me to have to work every day, right? It was just that we couldn't find anybody else to do it, which is a huge problem for a lot of people, right? And and Sean, I think you were lucky that, you know, you had an alternative because I think a lot of people who didn't have something to fall back on uh, would have been in a lot worse of a situation, right? If if, if an aide or two quits unexpectedly and, and you're sort of left out to dry, like, what do you do in that situation? I don't know. Like, thankfully you had a buffer and it still took several weeks to figure out. Like, it was a while. Longer and, than that. And yeah, it was <laughs> maybe a couple months. Um, several weeks, yeah. I guess I don't really remember, but it shows how hard this can be for even somebody with, you know, the the resources to, uh, you know, hire a nurse. Like, we, like, it wasn't an issue that, like, you didn't have uh, enough money to pay a nurse. It was that you just, like, could not find a person who would come there and, and, and do the work for you. Responsible. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's like, and the thing is, is, is if we had somebody who wasn't going to show up, which like wasn't even really something that we could find then either, like there was no other option. Um, but if you did have somebody who wasn't responsible, I would be out doing something and I might not be in a position to come back and help you. And, and what happens then? Um, so, I mean, thankfully we were able to figure it out, but it shows how hard it is for a lot of people. I think too, um, you know, that's a, a, a a problem that kind of plagues a lot of a lot of us is that um you know once once we start relying on somebody it's hard to change that right like it's hard to like okay like let me go proactively find other people to do it when i already have somebody to do it right like so then you end up re- just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing on them. And then it's more, they adds more and adds more. And eventually, you know, that stress or the, you know, that responsibility and that stress just becomes too much. Right. I mean, I think it works with relationships. I think it works with caregiving. I think it works with every, everything, you know, you brought up some really good points about um, what it is to have a caregiver and to be a caregiver and to fill that role. I mean, you're his brother and you also had a dual role of being his caregiver and that's not an easy job. That's not easy to just, especially at a young age, that's not easy to play both roles like that, you know, and I can see where that'd be very difficult, but also, I mean, this is a dynamic that a lot of people who have disabilities that rely on people are having to deal with, you know, I mean, I, I, I've talked to people who, have laid in bed for months because they didn't have adequate care. You know, they didn't have adequate ability to have themselves be helped. And I mean, it's so, yeah. So, you know, kudos to both of you, first of all, because I mean, really Tyler and Sean, you guys worked it out. You had communication, even if it did get to a boiling point, part of the communication is talking it out anyways, right? 
and you guys made it work. You guys figured it out. Um, but there is some, there, I definitely see that there's some social dynamics in the world that make it very difficult, you know, for this to happen. You know, they don't pay caregivers very much in the first place. So it's not what you would call an attractive field um, to be in, but it's a very necessary field. You know, it's a very necessary field. Um, in fact, I believe they're considered essential workers. They are. You know? Absolutely, for sure. So, so it's just, it's one of those things where if you could, if you could do your lawyer skills and get caregivers more pay, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, just change the world. I'm just saying change the world. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Job one. <laughs> I don't know if a caregivers union would work in, in everybody's favor. Yeah, I know. Right? That's the only thing we learned. If you want higher wages, you got to unionize. But I think that there are some other. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, and, and there's and, and there's always the other aspect. You know, someone's got to pay. So mm -hmm. it's you know it's usually the conversations on one side or the other, but it's never it's hard to meet in the middle for this for this sort of thing. So right, it's it's because there is no like. I mean, there is, I, I don't mean to say that there is no, but there's certainly not enough funding for this type of thing, right? Like most people who need caregivers aren't really in a position to pay lavish wages, right? Yeah. And the companies that pay caregivers, uh, you know, aren't really, maybe if they're in a position, to, even if they're in a position to do it, they don't want to and they don't necessarily have to, um, they well, feel because- Well, they're by insurances. You know, yeah, insurance. and the insurance companies don't want to pay for it. Yeah, and they, and they give, you know, depending on which insurance company you have, depends on what the, so everyone has a standard rate of pay. There's a, there's a national standard rate of pay, and the insurance companies, they go, well, we'll pay 50% of that because this is a state insurance, or we'll pay 80% of that because it's a private insurance, just as an example. Very much mm -hmm. like auto glass, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same, same, it's the same can, thing. Uh, we could go down a rabbit hole with that. But mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, we, we really could. Go down that one. Don, do you have any um, anything that you wanted to to add into as far as when you start when we were talking about relationships and 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 the burdens that that sometimes we can be on on those relationships? Yeah. No. I th I think you guys hit it pretty well. I mean, definitely, there's both sides of that equation. The person with the needs often feels like a, a burden and doesn't want to um, cause resentment. And I, and you see it from the other side, the caregiver, you know, sometimes feels kind of trapped in that situation, especially if they're a family member. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. You guys work it out the way you did. I love seeing the uh, brotherly love here. It, uh, it makes me feel good. And just, uh, I'm so impressed with you guys and all you've been through. And uh, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate you coming in and talking to us, Tyler, about some really personal things. So thank you for sharing all that with us. Yeah, yeah I, mean, of course. I think we're running short on time here, aren't we? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, appreciate, I, I appreciate you more than words can even express. You know what I mean? And, you've helped me and I've learned so much. I've learned so much from you. I'm so proud of you, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I hope that 
our relationship continues to be as strong as, as what it is, you know? I mean, that's the way I feel about it, at least. I just met you. I'm, I'm proud of you. Very eloquent young man. So you'll do fine. Good luck to you in the future. I hope so. And you are related and, and, to Sean, right? I mean, this is this is true, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, you know what? Barely. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I can I can actually see it kind of in you guys' eyes. You guys have similar eyes. Do you uh, do you like MMA too or not, Tom? No, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Sean are, definitely got me into that when uh, okay. when he lived with us. Uh, and that's definitely stuck around. Yeah. Did he right. teach you any moves? Oh, I've taken them to so many different ones. We've been to a lot of different ones. I mean, we've traveled. We've been we've been to Houston together to see fights. Um, nice. He knows he knows so many, you know, UFC fighters and MMA fighters all because of it. And it's it's something that we definitely bond over. That's for sure. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, anyways, look, I know we're running short on time. Tyler, you got anything you want to say? at all before we before we head out i guess like like you said man i'm definitely appreciative of you too i i know it's in in we're talking about this sort of caregiver relationship but um beyond that uh i mean maybe it encompasses that a little bit but maybe caregivers have uh, i mean they definitely have a lot to learn from from the people that they're helping but i mean in terms of just being my brother man i i would be in this situation uh if uh this had never happened so um i don't know where i would be without it and thank you i love you man thank you you guys are great thanks for coming on man i appreciate it yep anytime all right hey podriplegics hit subscribe hit like send a comment tell tyler how amazing he is and tell eric that you're gonna sue him please Uh, I don't think he swore. (laughs) Now, one time. I should try swearing now because you keep throwing the bus at me. Good Lord. Now, one time. (laughs) Look, man, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate all you guys so much. And I I look forward to seeing you guys again next week or the week after. Tyler, thank you again, man. Love you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Mm -hmm. We out. Peace. You done recording?